up and preach again. I kind of like that. That was fun. And then you follow it up with some worship when we're entering into God's presence and singing his praises. Thank you, praise team, and thank you, girls, for leading us. Well, I gave you the pep talk and the pat on the back and told you thank you. Now I'm going to tell you to get to work. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22 with me this morning. And we're actually going to look in Matthew chapter 22 and then flip over a few pages and look in Matthew chapter 28. These are two passages that I have shared with you on more than one occasion. And yes, I'm going to share them again because, frankly, I need the reminder and you do too. Matthew chapter 22. Let's begin reading together in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Flip over a few pages to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Read verses 16 through 20. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These two passages of Scripture have been titled and referred to as the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, respectively. In Matthew chapter 22, the first set of verses we read, we see a person coming up and asking Jesus a question, and Jesus answering in the only way Jesus could with a double answer. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, here's two. The first is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. The second passage in Matthew chapter 28 is when Jesus is speaking to his followers. Right before he ascends into heaven and leaves this earth until the day that he returns in this passage, Jesus gave his disciples a commission. The gist, the root, the heart of this commission is to make disciples of all the nations. These two great statements are statements that you need to know. 
There's statements that you need to memorize. There's statements you need to think about. There's statements that you need to reorient your life around. And they are statements by which our church operates and functions and lives and moves and breathes. A great church is a church that follows the great commandment. A great church is a church that seeks to fulfill the great commission. I want to ask you a simple question, and I hope I know the answer to this. Do you want First Baptist Church, Walnut Ridge, to be a great church? Let's try it one more time. Do you want First Baptist Walnut Ridge to be a great church? Good. So here's what we've got to do. We seek to follow the great commandment. We seek to fulfill the great commission. These are the hinges upon which the door of ministry swings wide open for us in the future. I mean, if you think about it, the only reason we were able to witness 19 people coming to Christ over the summer is not because we came up with some new brilliant idea in our own minds. It's not because we worked with our great power and strength. It's because we simply did what God has asked us to do by moving and walking one step at a time with Him in obedience. We've been seeking to follow the great commandment and to fulfill the great commission, and I want to challenge you and charge you to do that this morning. So think about these passages as presenting three hinges upon which the door of a great church opens. The first hinge is found in Matthew chapter 22. A great church has a great love for God. A great church has a great love for God. And because I've shared these passages so many times with you, I'm not going to so much exegete them this morning as I am just going to get straight to the heart of the matter and drive this down deep into your spirit, okay? So I want you to think about a group of people gathering together saying that they love God with all of their heart, their soul, and their mind. This is what Jesus told one person to do. When a group of people does this together, they are a force to be reckoned with in this world. It is through that group of people, a great church, that God moves and works mightily. A great church has a great love for God. In other words, this love has to be developed. This love has to be consistent. This love has to be exercised. I heard a story this week I want to share with you. There was a little child talking to his father one night before he went to bed and he was very confused about how his dad could love so many people, know so many people and love so many people. He said, Dad, I, I just don't understand. You know so many people and you say you care about so many people and love so many people. How is that possible? And so the father thought for just a moment and shared with his son this illustration he hoped would bring some comprehension to the little boy's mind. He said, we, you know, son, how we talk about getting bigger and stronger, what do you have to do to get bigger and stronger with, with your muscles? Do you just sit there and not do anything, or do you have to use them? Do you have to exercise? Do you have to work hard? He said, well, Dad, if I want to get big and strong, I've got to work hard. 
I've got to exercise. I've got to move. I've got to lift. I've got to run. I've got to do those things. And the father said, that's right. He said, son, son, what happens when you don't use your muscles or you can't use your muscles? The little boy said, you, you get weaker, like grandma so-and-so. She was in a wheelchair and, and couldn't move. Her muscles were getting weaker. And he said, son, I want you to think about your heart like a muscle. He said, you can either not use it and it gets weaker, or you can use it and it gets bigger and stronger. And the little boy went, oh. He said, dad, that's how you can love so many people. You use your heart muscle. I'm going to ask you to use your heart to love God with all of your being. Love him with every fiber of your being. Love him with every part of your personality. Love him with everything that you have. And this is not a love that you conjure up within and from yourself. Really, your love for God is in direct proportion to how much you know he loves you and to how much you've received his love in your life. In other words, there are many of you sitting here this morning who don't love God as much as you should because you don't realize just how much God loves you. I mean, we, we talk about loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we should because Jesus says to do so. But have you ever pondered how much God loves you? He loves you with all of his heart, his soul, and his mind. I mean, think about this. He loves you with his heart, so much so that he's willing to give up his only son, his son whom he sent to this earth to die on the cross for the trespasses and sins of all humanity so that those who believe in his son Jesus might become God's children themselves. God loves you with all of his heart. He loves you with all of his soul. He's willing to be patient and long-suffering as you grieve his heart when you sin. When you go through life and you make a mistake, and you deal with the consequences of those actions, God's soul hurts with yours. And when you go through life living as God would have you to live, honoring and pleasing Him, His heart rejoices and celebrates. His soul sings for joy along with yours. He knows you. He loves you with all of His soul. And He loves you with all of His mind. I mean, think about passages in the Bible that talk to us about God's love for us, that he's thinking about us. Even the very hairs of our head are numbered. Before we can even speak a word, before we even have a thought, God knows it all together. He's planned our steps before we take them. He knows who we are. We can cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. He knows the things that we need even before we present our request to him. God loves us with all of his mind. So let me ask you this question. Do you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind? And before you answer that question, let me help you think about it a little bit more deeply so that you can answer it appropriately. Let's think about all of the words, actions, and attitudes in your heart, in your mind, in your life this last week. 
And let's say that those things were the sum total of your love for God. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Now let me ask you this question, since we're talking about a great church and not just a great Christian or a great person. If our church loved God as much as you loved God, would our church be great? Or would our church be weak? Answer that question honestly. Don't let your pride or your self-righteousness get in the way. Don't let this false sense of humility get in the way or your emotions and become defensive. Answer the question honestly. If our church loved God as much as you do, would this be a great church or a weak church? Perhaps God is stretching you to love Him even more. Maybe you haven't been making the time to spend with God on your own, receiving His love into your life. And because of that, you're not living the life that God wants you to live. Maybe you're not taking the time to be as committed to this church and to be involved in all the ministry opportunities because you don't realize how much God loves you and you don't love Him like you should. I mean, just... I'll do it. We got a lot of folks here this morning. It's good to see all of you guys. We got lots of folks not here this morning, don't we? Lots of folks who are church members who are not here this morning. And I can't preach to them because they're not here. But I want to ask you this question. If your love for God is related to your church attendance, what would your love for God look like? And it's not just that I want you to be here and hear what great and wonderful things I have to say. It's that I want you to be here so that you can sit in God's presence and worship Him as you were created and designed to. That's really what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to love Him because He knows that when you love Him, you'll find the greatest satisfaction you ever could find in life. What about this? If your love for God was related to your giving... Would your love for God be great? Are you holding something back from God? He's blessed you, but you don't want to be a part of that because all oh, that church has plenty of money. God really doesn't need our money, folks. Money doesn't ever save people anyways. When I ask you to give and contribute to kingdom work, I'm giving you the opportunity to get involved in what God is doing. It's a sign that you are willing to submit and surrender all of your life and possessions to Him because you love Him that much. What about your time? If you looked at how you spent your time, would your love for God be great or would it be weak? Do you spend time with God in His Word? Do you spend time with Him in prayer? Do you choose to set aside portions of the schedule every week to follow up with what God has asked you to do in your Christian life. A great church has a great love for God. And when a church loves God with all of its heart and soul and mind, great things start to happen. People come to know Christ the Savior. Leaders rise to the surface to begin new Sunday school classes 
or to carry on ministries that didn't have a leader previously. When a church decides to love God with all of its heart and soul and mind, a church does great things for the kingdom. People not even in our own community get to hear about Jesus because we give to mission causes throughout the world and because we go and choose to spend of our lives serving in a place that's not our home so that somebody else can come to have an eternal home with God in heaven. A great church has great love for God. I'm going to challenge you this morning to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. Maybe that means you need to begin engaging with God and His Word on a daily basis. Perhaps when we start our 21-day reading plan of Ephesians on September the 8th, kickoff Sunday, you need to set aside 15 minutes every morning before you take the kids to school or go to work to spend time reading God's Word so that you can receive His love and spend time with Him. Maybe... You don't just need to spend time in God's Word, but maybe you need to spend some time in prayer. Maybe you haven't made prayer a priority in your life, and so you can't share with God the needs that you have, and you can't see how He's working and moving in your life and in the lives of people around you. And perhaps you need to choose to spend more time in prayer with Him. Maybe you need to study His Word in deeper and greater ways by joining Josh Clem's apocalyptic literature class. It starts on September the 8th. Sunday night, kickoff Sunday. Choose to love God. Commit to loving Him. You'll never regret it. A great church has great love for God. And then the second hinge upon which the door of a great church swings is this. A great church has great love for people. That is, it's not a selfish group seeking its own interests alone. A great church chooses to serve, chooses to give, chooses to do, even when there might not be any tangible benefit involved. Jesus told this scribe who asked him the question in Matthew 22, not just to love his neighbor, but to love his neighbor as he loved who? Himself. I guarantee you that you love yourself enough to make sure that you're well fed every day that you have clothes to wear, that you can make it through the next phase of life, that you have enough money to pay bills, that your emotional needs are taken care of, that you spend time with friends who are able to build you up and encourage you. Do you love the people around you in the same way that you love yourself? I think we see no greater example of that than Jesus himself, right? There was not a need that Jesus encountered that he was unwilling to meet for someone. There was not too far that he could go. There was not too deep that he could not sink to. There was not something too great that caused him to give up. If there was somebody around him that needed to experience the love of God, he was willing to be a channel through which God's love flowed into their life. Love your neighbor as yourself. A great church has great love for people. If our church loved people as much as you love people, would our church be a great church or a weak church? Answer that question. 
Answer it honestly in your own mind. If our church loved people as much as you love people, would our church be a great church or a weak church? Maybe God is calling you to step out in faith and walk upon some very uncomfortable waters. Maybe he's asking you to go somewhere you've never gone before or to speak to somebody that you've refused to talk to for a long time. Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Maybe this means that you as a church member need to get involved with other church members and connect to people who need you and people that you need to spend time with. Can I share something with you? Just a little off-the-cuff statistic. I hate statistics, by the way. Sometimes they're helpful. But the vast majority of church members that get involved in a small group or a Sunday school class are much more glad and willing and able and involved to love other people around them. I mean, just stop and think about this for a minute. You show up to church on a Sunday morning to worship, and you hear so-and-so's been in the hospital for two weeks. I didn't know that. Man, look, if you were a part of the Sunday school class that met at 930 instead of just showing up to worship at 1045, and you got to hear some of those prayer concerns and needs that people have, things that are going on in their lives, then maybe you would have known two days after they had gotten into the hospital instead of two weeks later. And you would have been able to take a meal to their family or call them on the phone and pray with them or even swing by and visit with them to encourage them. Understand, I'm not asking you to show up an hour earlier to the church house on Sunday morning so that you can stick your tush in a cush and then we can count you and add you to our numbers. I'm telling you that God wants you to love people like you love yourself. You love yourself enough to make sure that your needs are taken care of. Why don't we choose to take care of the needs of others just the same and all the more? Maybe you need to get involved in a small group or a Sunday school class. Maybe God's calling you to love people in an even greater way. Volunteering in Awana on Wednesday nights or driving a church van or mentoring a student or adopting a college student through our Home Away From Home program over the next year and investing and pouring into them, loving them like you love yourself. Maybe he's asking you to visit with some of our widows or to go see folks who have been church members for a long time, but they can't come on Sunday mornings because they can't get out of their bed in the nursing home. A great church has great love for people. Would you choose to love people? And then the third hinge upon which the door of a great church swings is this in Matthew 28. A great church has great desire to make disciples. A great church has great desire to make disciples. If you really do love God and you know how much he loves you and you really do love people, what happens in the equation is this. You choose to go and reach people and help them follow Jesus. There is simply no greater way that you could love a person than to go and find them when they're a lost sheep who's gone astray and to turn them back towards the Savior. 
There is no greater way that you can love somebody than to serve them, to point them to the one who can save them from their sins. There's no greater way that you could show somebody love, and there's no greater way that you could even show God love than to obey this final command, this great commission, and choose to take the gospel to the nations. Whether it's people who live across the street from you or people out on the campus at Williams Baptist University or folks who live in Colorado or somebody that's here visiting in town for the weekend. God's called us to make disciples of all the nations. A great church has a great desire to do that. Because a great church knows that it's only a great church if God is doing a great work through them. Jesus did not give a final command to his disciples to go out and fundraise as much money as they could. Did you know that? He didn't do it. Jesus didn't tell his disciples to go out and figure out how many people they could get into one building at one certain time so that they would have more people than anybody else around them. Jesus didn't tell them to do that. Jesus didn't tell a group of people, his followers, to go out and to do something really bizarre and weird that he didn't do. Jesus told his followers to go and do the same thing he had done, to make disciples. Jesus called aside 12 men to follow him, and for three years of his life, every waking moment virtually of his time that he wasn't spending alone with his father or ministering to the needs of people around him in the crowds, he set aside to help these men learn how to follow his father in heaven. He made disciples from all walks of life, tax collectors and fishermen, rich and poor, people who were liked, people who were despised, people who had different political ideas from each other, people who were Jews, people who were Greeks, not of the same race. He made disciples. And it wasn't just of those 12 men. It was of those in the crowds around him. Sure, those 12 Jewish men followed him more closely than the others did. But even the Greeks started to come after Jesus, and Jesus was faithful to point him the way to his Father in heaven. If our church made disciples like you made disciples, will we be a great church or a weak church? Man, look, I'm going to dig this one down deep because this is where it hits the road for most of us. We say we're willing to love God. We say we're willing to love people, but dude, don't ask me to make a disciple. I've asked you several times over the last month, months to identify one person in your life that you can invite to church, that you can be praying for daily, and that you can build a relationship with and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Have you done that? If you haven't, you're not willing to make disciples. And I kind of wonder how our church is ever going to be a great church if we don't have the same heartbeat for people to follow God that God has for people to follow him. Who's your one? I'm not asking you to go out and find 12 people. I'm just asking you to find one. If our church made disciples like you made disciples, would our church be a great church or a weak church? Southern Baptist statistics, I told you I hate them, and I do because this one's real. This isn't just off the cuff. And this one hurts. Based upon the number of people that Southern Baptist churches baptize, compared with the number of people that attend worship on a weekly basis, 
it takes 50, more than 50 Southern Baptists to produce one disciple. You mean to tell you what's really going on behind that statistic? It's not that there's 50 people going after one. It's usually that there's a handful going after a few. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever shared your faith with somebody? Well, Jake, I, I do good stuff around the people that I'm with all the time, and they know I'm a Christian. No, that's not what I ask you. Have you verbally witnessed to somebody and shared the good news of Jesus Christ with them? Well, Jake, no, I, I can't do that. I don't know enough. If you know Jesus, you know enough. Jake, I, I don't think you, man, that, that, that's your job. No, it's not my job. It's not your job. It's our job. It's all of us. Jesus didn't just tell 12 disciples to make disciples. Every single person that was in the crowd that day to see Jesus ascend to heaven, he told to go and make disciples. Not just the pastors of the churches, not just Peter the spokesman, but every single one of them, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. I don't care who you are, what you know, how rich you are, how poor you are, where you come from, go and make disciples. A great church has great desire to make disciples. What would it look like? Maybe you want to close your eyes and picture this in your mind. What would it look like if just half of the people in this room today chose to obey God's final command, chose to seek to fulfill the Great Commission and make disciples of all the nations? What if just half of you decided to do that? And over this next year, you identified one person and you began praying for that person every day. And you invited them to worship services so that they could hear God's word. And you shared your faith with them on a regular basis. And what if just half of those people, just half of the ones that were identified as ones, what if just half of them came to know Jesus? Say, Jake, man, that's, that's not a pretty good success rate. Now look, that's a better batting average than anybody in the Major League Baseball has. Because if we're faithful to do what God's asked us to do, then we're simply obeying God's kingdom work. We're seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. We can't control how many people follow Jesus, but what we can choose to do is to spend our time, effort, and energy pointing people to Jesus. And the fact of the matter is this. You can't make disciples if you never go. You can't make disciples if you never step out of the boat and go and decide to walk on the water and have those uncomfortable conversations. You can't make disciples if you don't care enough to go and share with your lost friend who's going to spend eternity in hell that Jesus loves him and wants to save him. A great church has a great desire to make disciples. And I know that may have hurt a little bit, and I hope it did because I want it to. I want our hurt, hearts to hurt like God's does because I think God's heart aches and longs for every child in this world to truly become his child, a new creation in Christ. But I also want to remind you of this. I think you do have a great desire to make disciples and that we just need to put it into action. Let me tell you the my, my most favorite moment in all the worship service this morning when I was reading to you what Bryson had said about children's ministry events over this summer 
and how he just simply shared with you that seven children had come to know Jesus Christ. Do you guys remember what you did? Somebody does. You clapped and you applauded and you rejoiced. Why? Because in your heart, you know that that is the only thing worth living for. And folks, listen to me. That is the only thing this church does that is worth doing. It's making disciples of Jesus Christ. Finding people that God loves and teaching them how to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And teaching them how to love their neighbors as they love themselves. And teaching them to go and make disciples of all the nations. A great church seeks to follow the great commandment and to fulfill the great commission. You want First Baptist Church in Walnut Ridge to be a great church? Yes or no? And I want you to say this with me. And I'll say it one time for you so that you can get the hang of it. Love God. Love people. Make disciples. Let's try it. You ready? Love God. Love people. Make disciples. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father God, we thank you so much for our time together this morning. I pray that you would help us as a church family, as a body of believers, to love you, to love other people, and to make disciples. As you've been here in worship service this morning, perhaps you have heard God speaking to your heart. Maybe he's leading you to step out in faith and recommit to loving him or to loving other people, or to making disciples. I'm going to ask you right now to respond to God as He has spoken to you. I'll be standing down here in the front. If you need to come and speak with me or pray with me, I'll be happy to do that. Maybe just to put a concrete step to the faith that's in your heart, you need to step out of your pew and come and kneel at the steps of this altar and pray to God. Maybe God's asking you to do something even more radical and go across the sanctuary this morning and to love somebody. Maybe he's asking you to do something even crazier than that, and that's to leave service right now and to go share your faith with somebody or to go invite them to come back to church with you tonight. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me. This altar is open if you need to pray. As God calls you this morning, how will you respond to him?